morning. Today's reading comes from Psalm 137, starting at verse 1. Beside the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us, our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. O Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem. Destroy it! they yelled. Level it to the ground. O Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you've done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 23, David says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The valley, it is a depression or an extended canyon that seems to go in one direction. It seems like it would go on forever. You see, we all seem to go in these valleys in our life. We may be entering a valley, we may be in the middle of the valley, or we're about to leave the valley. And the valley, it comes in all different shapes and forms. It can be uh, the loss of a friendship the metaphorical death of a dream or a missed opportunity. It can even be the literal death of someone that we love. Basically, it is something that ceases to exist in our lives as we now know it. Ecclesiastes says that there is a time for everything. There is a time to laugh, and there's a time to cry. It's that mourning season. It is that season of pain. Everyone hurts at some point. We all feel the pain of experiencing the valley of the shadow of death. When we are in the midst of pain, it feels like it goes on forever. There's no relief in sight. I'm not talking about having a bad day or even a big inconvenience. I'm talking about those seasons when the pain hurts in our bones, in our gut, into the very core of who we are. So where do we go when we mourn? Where do we go with those thoughts of pain and those wounds? Jesus said, for those that are mourning, do just that, mourn. But he also gave a promise that there will be comfort. So for those people that are in the valley with no end in sight, they must be comforted. And we want to help. We want to be there for people. But in reality, there are really no words to say for someone who is sitting in their mourning booth. I try to tell jokes. I think that laughter should lighten their mood. It doesn't always seem to work. If laughter is the best medicine, why does it seem to sting when we're in the valley? And others try to offer perspective. We really don't know what to say, so we try to offer some counsel. We'll say stuff like, all things work together for good. It's true, but the timing may be a little off. 
Sometimes we find ourselves trying to comfort someone we really love. We say it's time to move on, to rise above it, to get over it. But there's a life still to live. But if we were to really look at them, we'd see their pain. For those of us who can't see the pain, we leave. We exit. We cannot sit in the morning booth any longer. We cannot stay in the valley. Everyone must take their turn in the morning booth. However, they shouldn't have to do it alone. Paul calls out the cry for the followers of Jesus. Mourn with those who mourn. Carry one another's burdens. We must get in close proximity of the person in pain. Never underestimate the power of your presence. When a person is seated in their mourning booth, there is something eternal and gently and quietly taking a seat next to the wounded. St. Francis said, share Jesus with others, and if you have to, use words. You see, you don't have to use words at all. It can make all the difference in the world when someone is willing to sit and share in the pain, the sorrow, and the hurt. It is a holy response. Well, good morning. Kind of feels like winter out there this morning, like the real thing is, is here and uh, makes us begin to think about the next season that's coming our way, Christmas. And don't anyone say this morning, I've got all my shopping done. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> so glad you're here. We're in a new series, brief series on the uh, subject of prayer. Uh, we've simply called it the practice of prayer the practice of prayer. Pastor Norb talked about the prayer of intercession a couple of weeks ago. Last week was the prayer of relinquishment. And uh, this, this Sunday, this morning, the prayer of tears. The prayer of tears. Have you ever heard of that before, such a prayer? The prayer of tears. A gentleman commented that he went to church one day, and as he walked into church, not his home church, but another church, he saw something that he'd never seen before. And it so astonished him that he saw this that uh, he couldn't quit thinking about it and talking about it. And, and he was telling his friends about it and they, he was having them guess what it was that he saw in the auditorium that was so unusual. He said, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. What do you think it was? He said his friends, again, tried to, to guess, but they failed. And his answer was a box of Kleenex. A box of Kleenex. Here was a church where it was permissible to cry. That's a bit unusual for a church. We subtly seem to say, don't cry. If you cry, you make us all uncomfortable. Uh, we have some Kleenex boxes around. I don't see them this morning, but sometimes they're at the back booth there, and sometimes we have Wednesday prayer time here right in the auditorium, and there's often at Wednesday night a lot of, a lot of tears uh, because there's some deep things that come out. Uh, so for sure, permission to cry. In fact, have you noticed 
that it's not unusual to cry in church. Why is that? Some people say, well, I like to sit at the back because then I can get out. And I don't know what it is, but uh, these tears come. And some people through the years have just said to me, I find it so hard. I, I don't know why the tears start to flow, but when I come to church, it just seems more prominent that they start to flow. And I just want to run away and escape. And I say this morning, don't beat yourself up on that one. Not at all. There is healing and there is a sense of God touching you at the center of who you are. And we'll talk a little bit about that this morning. So what is the prayer of tears? Let me just talk about the prayer of tears for a moment. And then let's go to the scripture to see an example. There are many, many examples. There's a word in the Greek language that perhaps best captures the prayer of tears. And it's the word pentos. Uh, we don't use that word, of course, because Greek is not our language. But uh, the word means something that really does connect with us. It means a broken and contrite heart. Uh, it means inward godly sorrow. It means the prayer of tears. It, it means to be cut to the heart over our distance from the heart of God. Uh, it's like on the day of Pentecost. Do you remember when pre Peter preached this, this awesome, awesome sermon and, and the people listened and responded and, and the scripture says that they were cut to the heart. And they said, what shall we do with what we've heard? It means weeping over the sins of the world. Some people will, will feel the heaviness of the world and the way that we have seemingly abandoned God and it touches them at a very deep level. The prayer of tears. It's this overwhelming feeling that our sin cuts us off from the fullness of God's presence. And it's prevalent in the scripture. Jeremiah, as you probably know, is known as the weeping prophet. Listen to his words. Oh, that my head were a spring of water, he moans, and my eyes a fountain of tears, so that I might weep day and night for the slaying of my poor people. There are a lot of psalms that talk about tears. In fact, those psalms have a name. They are called psalms of lament. Psalms of lament. And they make us a little feel a little uneasy at times. Should we ever say what we're feeling? Should I tell you what's deep inside my heart? Shall I express it? And so they get you in touch with what's going on deep inside our pain and our struggle and our and suddenly we find ourselves saying what we feel we start to say what we feel there's psalms of lament there's seasons of life that we pass through we pass through the valley of lament and like the script writer was saying we're either entering the valley we're in the middle of the valley or we're coming out of the valley psalm 22 my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out day by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. And remember who picked up those words on the cross, Good Friday? They became the words of Jesus. My God, my God, 
tears. There's a lot of crying in the Psalms. Sometimes we think of that as weakness. Or our faith is weak. Maybe we have the impression that God is saying to us, you shouldn't have tears. You don't have the right to weep or to lament or to cry. And we picture him as this macho man in heaven who's trying to kind of silence us and say, no, no, don't, don't do that. Buck up. Be strong. We maybe think he's impatient with us if we have tears. So the lament psalms are very earthy. And we need them. Although they make us a little uncomfortable. Verse 9 was a little uncomfortable this morning as Scott read it. They're very earthy. Why? Because we have to deal with life, real life. There's so much pain in life, physical pain. There's a medical cause. Some of you here this morning are probably feeling pain, just physical pain. You're on medication, but you're dealing with physical pain. There is emotional pain, and there is mental pain, and there is spiritual pain, and you carry your own spiritual pain. And if you have people in your life that you really care about, you carry, you carry their pain as well. You carry your spouse's pain, or your child's pain, or your friend's pain. Or you carry the brokenness of the world. You feel deeply about what's happening in Mosul these days. You feel it when those bombs land in Aleppo. And you say, how could anybody drop a bomb on a children's hospital? How crazy must you be? And it may bring you to tears. You feel the pain of the world. Let's go to a passage to illustrate the prayer of tears. There isn't just one passage, so we get to choose. There are a lot of, there are a lot of examples in the book of Psalms and in the New Testament as well. But I like Psalm 137. Never preached on this psalm before, so, so let's go there this morning. It's, it is a fascinating psalm, and it was read so well by Scott with a bit of a New Zealand accent. Scott and his wife Jackie and daughter Emma are here from New Zealand for a year. And uh, I love it when people just sort of just jump right in and say, well, we're not going to fool around. We're just going to get involved. And uh, thank you for doing that. And by the way, thank you, congregation, for reading the scripture uh, every Sunday. I love that. And I love that you're always willing. Some of you say, I would be a little nervous to do that. But are there any tough words? Let me just ask you that first. And then if it's okay, I think I could do that. Thank you for doing that. Do you have Psalm 137 in your viewing? What's happening here? Kind of makes you think of the spirituals of the African-American music and the power of their songs that were born out of suffering. And, and some of those songs speak about the glory of heaven and the hell of earth. And they longed to go home because life was so tough for, for them. And so they, they sang the songs of heaven that this life they're just passing through, but my home is in heaven. And the only way they could survive was to think of what would be one day because it was so awful living from day to day. On the secular side of the black experience of suffering and slavery came what we call the music of the blues. 
There are so often mournful songs of anguish and loss, the blues. And Psalm 137, I think we, we could call it the ancient blues of the Israelites. Because the setting here is the Babylonian exile. Do you remember the, the history that God sent one prophet after another uh, to his people to warn them? To have them turn to him, but they had deaf ears and they had blind eyes and they would not listen. And they paid no attention to God and they ignored the prophets and they locked up poor Jeremiah the weeping prophet. And then it happened, just like it was prophesied, that this monstrous world power called the Babylonians came knocking on the door of Judah. And they swept in mighty and strong like locusts. And only God could have stopped them. But he didn't. And he said they were coming. And they came. And they did what's happening today in the Middle East. They plowed through one village after another. Devastation all over the place. They had no trouble with Jerusalem. They ravaged the land. They, they, they broke down the walls of Jer Jerusalem. They burned the beautiful city. They, they raped and pillaged until poor Jerusalem was on its knees in surrender. And then they roped together a long line of the people of Israel and Judah, perhaps the strongest of the land, young men and women, guys like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, healthy young guys. And they marched them out of their beloved homeland and they took them all the way to Babylon. And there they became slaves and subservient to this great world power. And they were forced to worship foreign gods. And Oh, what an awful period in the history of the nation of, of Judah and Israel. Exile, tears, pain, separation, lack of familiarity, foreign gods, strange food, humiliation, it was awful. And that's what Psalm 137 is all about. Can I ask you and the text three questions? Number one, how, how did I get where I am? How did I get where I am? That's a, ten, a question that we tend to ask. How did this ever happen? Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how could we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? Wow. Some of the people of Judah had gathered by the river of Babylon. And, and, uh, and there it was that they seemed to be able to release their emotions. They cried, they lamented, they wept. The rivers, uh, some suspect, were the great irrigation channels by the Euphrates River, which watered the fertile ground surrounding the city. And Jewish exile settlements were in that area. The camps were located there, as we read in the book of, uh, of Ezekiel. And in that moment of being able to reflect, their hearts were broken. And I'm sure they asked the question, how in the world did we ever get here? How did I get where I am? And their minds went back to Jerusalem and to her former magnificence. And now all they could remember is what Jerusalem looked like when they left it. Their beautiful city, absolutely decimated. There is no music in exile. We put away our harps. That was the instrument of the day. We put away our grand 
We put away the keyboards. We put those drums away. We put those guitars away. We put our music away. We put our harps on the branches of poplar trees. Can you imagine? Quite a sight. What? You hung your harp on a tree? What is that? We hung them up on a tree because we were, we're sad. We're a broken people. We are humiliated. Out of loyalty to our homeland, we're not singing anymore. Oh, but did you notice their captors demanded a song? Oh, they wanted, to do, they wanted us to sing a joyful song. They wanted us to really get into it. Rock out one of those great songs of Zion. Come on, you know the songs. Belt it out and make it joyful. Make it a joyful song. Come on, you can do it. You go ahead and do it. Sing one of those songs of Jerusalem. How did I ever get here? How did I get where I am? How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in this pagan foreign land? And it's a question we think a lot about too. Probably many times in our journey. How in the world did I ever get here? It's hard to sing when you're weeping. It's hard to sing the great songs of rejoicing and victory when you don't feel it. Sometimes we just don't like where we're at. It's hard to worship through tears. And it's my guess that we sometimes are very insensitive to where people are at when we come to worship on a Sunday morning. Yes, we try not to make it mournful because because we are here to celebrate. But sometimes it's okay to be mournful because that may be exactly where we're at. The church, which is all of us, can be strangely intolerant when it comes to grief and discouragement. Certainly we recognize that it's normal to feel badly when there's been some loss, some setback. We expect one another to feel a measure of, of loss and grief, but then we expect you to move on. Come on. We, we expect you to move on rather quickly. If you get stuck in your grief, then it's just, it's just awkward. So come on. And I don't even know quite what to say about that. I want to somehow apologize for that insensitivity. And then I think, but we'll probably do it again tomorrow, next Sunday. While we may have greater awareness, we'll, we're probably going to repeat ourselves on this. Because we aren't all mourning at the same time, you see, that's the issue. Maybe it's a little different for us than a national disaster. Our, our losses are typically spread out. But almost every Sunday, someone here is hurting deeply. There are tears of discouragement. There are questions. How did I ever get here? How do we help one another through grief? If a loved one has died, it's all right to talk about who she was or how much he meant to you. I know, I know. Soon we want people to... We, we want people to get it all together again and pull it together. And I was reading C.S. Lewis had that experience when his wife died. He wrote a book called A Grief Observed, and he basically said, it got real awkward after a while. I wanted to talk about my wife, but my family couldn't handle it. They just started to feel a little awkward, a little, a little embarrassed. They were just wanting me to stop. And he said, my friends were the same. Okay, stop now. That's enough. 
And the grieving process can be slow and lonely. Someone wrote that a, the evangelical church has a low threshold for pain. They meant that if you come to church with a long face, someone will correct you and try to adjust your face. Come on. Come on. Put a smile on your face. Put some enthusiasm into your songs. Sing those songs. <laughs> Let me be real Canadian here. Sorry. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord when we're in a place where we don't want to be? What do you do when you come to the place of worship and you find that you haven't got the heart to sing? Do you just put on a happy face? Do you just try to talk yourself into a better mood? Can, can I say today, permission to be here when you're hurting? Permission to cry? Permission to use the Kleenex? Tears are good. Tears are, are healing. Tears reflect your heart. I mean, was the psalmist looking for an answer to his question? How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? He wasn't looking for an answer from God. He wasn't anticipating that God would give him a pep talk. He just expected that God would understand. That God would agree with him or understand where he's coming from. You don't have to sing. How can you sing under this national tragedy? I mean, you will sing again, but you don't have to sing today. Not here. Not in this moment. You don't have to sing. Isn't that awesome that you can just be honest with God and He gets it? You don't have to ignore your tears. Tears are worship. Oh, I just want to say that again. Tears are worship. Tears are your worship. When your heart is broken and you tell God, I don't feel like singing, those tears are your worship. It's the best worship you can offer. That's your true heart. It's not your best face, but it's your true face. And that's what God's looking for. First question, how did I get where I am? Second question, how do I worship when the past was so good and the present is so crummy? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. Make my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. I mean, these people are thinking about their past. They're remembering Jerusalem, and they have a fierce loyalty. I'm not going to sing the songs. I'm not going to play the harp in Babylon. It would be an absolute betrayal of my heart for Jerusalem, a fierce loyalty to Jerusalem. You can't sing the songs of Zion in Babylon. The songs of Zion must be sung in Zion. And I wonder if right at the heart of all of this is not a little bit of good theology. Songs of praise must be presented to the one worthy of our praise. We don't sing songs of praise and joy for our enemies to gloat over us. We sing those songs for the glory of God. We sing those songs for the glory of God. Otherwise, they're just performance. It's a good thing to remember. We sing those songs and, and, and hymns and worship songs every Sunday here as we did this morning. And I so appreciate that they're not performance. I appreciate our worship leaders that they're not performers. Uh, it's not performance. 
It's about bringing our worship to the Father, to the Lord Jesus. Don Williams is a writer, and he said, uh, I heard a, a great Christmas program by noted musicians. He said, while it was technically flawless, it was flat. They clearly did not know the one about whom they sang. They presented their, their music to the audience rather than to the Lord. And he writes, in contrast to this, I've heard the Christmas music of the African-American opera singer Jesse Norman. The setting of the concert is a medieval cathedral in England with a professional backdrop of, of choirs and symphony orchestra. Miss Norman glows with an inner light. She presents her music to Jesus Christ, not to her audience. Her eyes often soar upward beyond the vaults of the, of the ceiling. Traditional carols ring with truth as she offers them heavenward. She sings the songs of Zion and the angels sing with her. These people of Judah are now far away from home. And they're being threatened to strike up the old band. And this sing is some of those good old Jewish songs, the songs of Zion. No thanks. We don't sing our songs to you guys. We don't sing our songs to you guys. They're too precious. We're not going to betray our beloved homeland, our beautiful Jerusalem. We're not going to sing to you guys. They now look back at what they had and they can see it was so good. They don't like their new normal. They like the past. Have you ever felt like that? Oh, things are not what they used to be. In the good old days, you know, in the good old days, we never locked our doors at night. We left the keys in the car. And we never thought twice about it. Those were the good old days. And it's easy to idealize the past. I often say when, when I, I look at some of the places we visited when we were kids and now we go back and we're older adults and, and, and we have this image in our mind's eye of, of how large those buildings were. And now we go back and they were runty little buildings. They weren't that big at all. It was kind of half the size I see it in my mind's eye. We, we can find ourselves living in the past it can be the ideal of life, the great years, when in fact we have it today is, 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 is a lot better. We find ourselves pining for the past, however. The problem with, with the past is that there, it's no longer real. And you can't live there. But what it does is soften the blow of the harsh reality of the present. And so we, we, we can escape to the past, and we can live the present in the past, and it helps us get through. And I'm not going to blow that out of the water this morning because to live in the, in, the few, in, the, in the present is pretty hard for some. And I don't think that was true in Psalm 137 because this is all about grief, and grief must take us to, back to the past. And the writer of the psalm doesn't apologize for the past. He's grieving the loss of Jerusalem. He's grieving the loss of all that once was, and he doesn't know where the future is headed. And that's mainly the issue. He doesn't know where the future is headed. It's hard to sing the songs of Zion when you wish you could be in the past, when your heart is racked with pain and, and the grief comes in like a tide and just knocks you off your feet. But this is grief. And, and God does what... Uh, he wants when we're in the valley of grief. 
and he can handle our pain and he walks us through the grief. He's, he's, he's like the person who sits in the booth with the person who's experienced loss. He's there, he's there, and maybe that's all sometimes it's necessary, the ministry of presence. Just to know he hears our cries, he hears our pain, he hears our disappointment, and he sees our hearts. A disillusioned heart is your true heart. That's your true heart. And God loves that openness. So I just want to say again this morning, he sees the tears, he loves the tears, he loves your heart. Use as many Kleenex boxes as you need. It's your worship, it's your grief pouring out to your, uh, out your heart to God. And God knows all about this grief. God, Jesus went through grief and he felt all the feelings and he wept, remember, and he was angry and he ran the gamut of feelings. We have to process the past the pain in order to heal. The process is first. It's not a waste of time to process our grief. It's worship. And so God gives us this wonderful gift of tears. Friends, even the gift, even the tears in themselves are physically therapeutic. There is something about the tears coming from the eye that is physically therapeutic. But through the prayer of tears, we give God permission to see our hearts we may give him permission to see our sin and our distractions. So the questions, how did I get where I am? How do I worship when the past was so good and the present is so cr crummy? And then the last question, how do I worship when my heart is filled with a desire to retaliate? As you all know, the U.S. election was held 12 days ago. The next Sunday after the election, American pastors had to go to their pulpits and try to figure out what to say to the people of America and the people in their congregations. And so I was reading on that this week and I, I had a whole bunch that I wanted to share with you, but the time is just slips away. But they were all trying to figure out ways to bring healing to their congregation because the polarization had split some of their congregations right in half. And words got fast and furious and words were said that perhaps should never have been said. And, it, and congregations needed to come back to a sovereign God perspective in all of it. Look at these verses in Psalm 137. O Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day of uh, the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem. Destroy it, they yelled. Level it to the ground. O oh, Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you've done to us. And then that verse, happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Oh my. What an earthy verse. Vengeful. Retaliation. I mean, you want to strike out at somebody after loss comes your way. First he leveled his rifle at the Edomites. They were always long-standing enemies of, of Israel. And they were almost gleeful when Jerusalem fell down. They were just like, oh, oh good on them. And uh, then the Babylonians, they were the ones who actually did it. And the Israelites were saying, someday you'll get your payment back in full. And when that happens, I'm going to just jump up and cheer. You deserve it. I mean, who here can't understand that feeling? 
We're, we're used to saying, well, just wait, my friend. There'll come a day, there'll come a day when the score is evened. And here is the hard part of this song. It's very human. It's, it's very earthy. And sometimes we find ourselves here in reality. It's also the place of growth for us. Here's where we need the freedom of God in our lives. And it may, may take many tears and many years. Where can we turn but to Jesus? We spoke of the prayer of relinquishment last Sunday. Jesus relinquished his life in Gethsemane because he trusted God. Jesus also said he could have, he could have called 12 legions of angels. And that's thousands and thousands and thousands of angels. If he wanted justice, he could have called the angels. But he didn't come for justice. He came to offer forgiveness. How do you find your way back through forgiveness? Which is ever so hard. Jesus understood what justice requires. Only Jesus can provide what justice requires. And he gave his lifeblood so justice could happen. When all you want is payback, and yet God turns your heart so you can pray for forgiveness. That's amazing. When you have to have, want to have revenge, but you come to Jesus, and you're reminded of the blood that flowed from his hands and feet and inside, and you understand that this is how he handled injustice, then you find new hope and new grace. What happens when you bless others when they curse you? Something amazing happens within, something very amazing. So there's a freedom that comes through forgiveness. And there, when you can find it, you find grace and forgiveness and worship. Forgiveness is worship. Tears will be your friend as you forgive. There will be painful tears and there will be joyful tears as we release to our Savior. So three questions. And tears permeate all of them. Why am I here? How did I ever get here? How do I worship when the past was so good and the present so crummy? And how do I worship when my heart is filled with a deep desire to retaliate? The Lord may give you the prayer of tears. Don't despise them. At the center of who you are, at the deepest center of who you are, God is at work. He's doing a good work. And the scripture says that God never despises a broken and contrite heart. Can we bow together, please? I invite you to remain seated for a moment. The Lord usually puts a circle around those things that he wants to remind us of. He has his way of doing that. Whatever it is, just bring it to him. Whatever pain, whatever struggle, whatever issue that hasn't been forgiven. Whatever the tears may be, just hand it over to him this morning in a few moments of quietness. Hear our prayers, Father. 
See our hearts. See our tears. Help us in our grief. Join us in our struggle. Strengthen our hearts. Cleanse us by your spirit. Fill us anew. In Jesus' name.